Well, if you'll remember from uh, previous weeks and as we began this uh, class on Luke, we looked at a very brief uh, outline of the Gospel of Luke, and so we're, we're getting ready to move now into a new section. So let's uh, consider where we've been and, and uh, look at this outline again. Uh, so you remember, the, Luke uh, gave a pretty lengthy introduction to his, his Gospel, uh, going uh, through the different uh, birth narratives of John the Baptist and then Jesus, and looking at the ministry of both of those men, and ultimately how John's ministry was all about pointing us toward uh, Jesus, the Son of God, uh, in the flesh and his ministry. And then in the weeks uh, uh, prior, we looked at uh, the preparation for ministry. So that included Jesus's baptism. We talked about the genealogy of Jesus, how uh, Luke made a very, uh, he, he was very uh, adamant about uh, pointing out that Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man, and, uh, and he is the one who's able to uh, succeed where all previous uh, generations and men had failed. And we see that in, his, in the temptation uh, account in, in the beginning of chapter 4. And now we're moving to the back half of chapter 4, and we're, we're going to spend uh, probably the rest of our time uh, over the next uh, several weeks we have left in this uh, section of our Sunday school uh, looking at uh, Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And so he begins his ministry there uh, in Galilee, and, uh, and he'll uh, minister there uh, up through, uh, Luke will record that through uh, chapter 9. And, uh, and then in chapter 9, verse 51, there's a shift, and it says that Jesus set his face to journey toward Jerusalem. And this big section in the middle of Luke's gospel is Jesus journeying toward Jerusalem, teaching along the way. A lot of the famous parables in Luke are, are found in this, this long section from 9 to chapter 19. And then he arrives in Jerusalem, and, uh, and um, the final week there in Jerusalem uh, where he is... Uh, received uh, the triumphal entry, and of course, uh, going through the passion events, uh, the Last Supper, betrayal, obviously the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Uh, so that's the outline of Luke, and, and we have the Galilean ministry in bold because that's, that's where we're going to be. So that's where we are, uh, just to make sure that we are... Uh, we all know where we are. It's helpful to know where we are so we can know where we're going. And so that's where we're going this morning, Jesus' uh, ministry in Galilee. And so there's a, a connecting section uh, that connects and uh, what uh, connects the, the preparation for Jesus' ministry uh, now uh, moving into his ministry. Those are verses 14 and 15. So let's look at those, and uh, I'll read them for us. This is right after uh, the temptation. Uh, where it says uh, the devil had ended every temptation and departed from him from him until an opportune time, foreshadowing to the end of Luke's gospel. Uh, but now in verse fourteen it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit of Ga- uh, of the spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And so these, uh, these uh, verses, they give us a summary statement of Jesus' ministry, and it gives us an overview of the entire section that we're going to be looking at from chapter 4 uh, through chapter 9, right, right up until he starts his journey to Jerusalem. But this is, this is an overview of this section we're about to read of his Galilean ministry. Uh, it, it provides details for us and also for the immediate uh, next section as he begins his ministry. He's, he's going to go uh, through uh, this region of Galilee, and he's going to be teaching in the synagogues there. And so uh, we see that he, uh, a couple things we want to see in this section is that he returns in the power of the Spirit. 
So we know that he was conceived by the Spirit in chapter 1. He was anointed by the Spirit in chapter 3 at his baptism. Uh, We see that he was led by the Spirit into temptation in the wilderness in chapter 4. And now as he returns and he begins his ministry, we see that he is returning in the power of the Spirit. And so the the Son uh, is is always in union with uh, his Spirit. And he's always doing the will of his Father in heaven. And so we see the triune God always at work together, inseparably. Even though we keep in distinction the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we never separate them. But they're always at work together. And so the Son is returning in the power of his, of his very own Spirit, anointed by that Spirit to, to, to perform uh, the mission that he was sent uh, to do. And in this immediate context, in this immediate context, uh, 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 his, the mission he has is to go and to preach the kingdom, to teach in the synagogues, and he's doing that in the power of the Spirit. We're also told that he's being glorified by all. And that's also a very interesting, uh, interesting little note that uh, Luke uh, tells us here. And I want to talk about that just a little bit, because we see the verb to glorify. Uh, that's the Greek uh, verb doxazo where we get the word doxology. You can see that in there, doxa, that, that form of the word. Uh, and so uh, this word uh, is used, or at least the verb, is used nine times in Luke. What's interesting is that every time except for, for once, except for here, every time the object of the verb is, is God or theos. So many times in Luke, they'll be glorifying God. Uh, he will... Um, uh, at times he will he will heal. Uh, I don't know if we'll get to this story in chapter five today, but he heals the man with leprosy, and he goes and he glorifies God for what has happened. Uh, one of the uh, most uh, uh, pointed of these is is at the end of Jesus' ministry, at his death on the cross. The centurion saw what uh, had taken place, and he praised God or gave glory to God, the same verb, saying, certainly this man was was innocent. And all throughout the the gospel, um, when this this verb is used, it's being uh, used to give glory or praise or honor to God. But here, we just have this passing note that Jesus was being glorified by all. And so even in these, these uh, little details, uh, Luke is telling us something about uh, who Jesus is. This, this man is the one who's actually also worthy of the glory uh, that is given to the Father. And so we see just a little glimpse of, of uh, his, um, his deity here. And what we'll see then is Jesus' ministry, it begins and it ends uh, with doxology, with a word of praise or a word of glory. It begins here that he's being glorified by all as he begins his ministry in chapter 4, and then at the end of his ministry, as he breathes his last on the cross, uh, uh, chapter uh, 23, verse 47, that's the word of the centurion, uh, praising and glorifying God for for what he's accomplished uh, through uh, this uh, through Jesus on the cross. So uh, Jesus, his ministry, it begins and it ends with a doxology. And so we're, we're told that he uh, returns in the power of the Spirit. He's being glorified by all. By all. He's going around the surrounding country, uh, around the area of Galilee. And the first uh, stop that we're, we're told about that he makes is uh, in Nazareth. And so I'm going to... Uh, just read through these sections of Scripture together uh, for us, and then, uh, and then we'll talk about them in detail. So verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, uh, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. 
he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, uh, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at uh, Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a, widow, a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the, to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. Passing through their midst, he went away. So there's a lot there, but we'll look at... Uh, We'll go through this passage in, in, in order and, and make some comments as we go along. But obviously the first thing we see is that he returns now to his hometown. We know Nazareth was his hometown. It's an important town all throughout the birth narratives. Uh, so we can uh, see it pictured here. And um, I think uh, we'll reference this map um, as we go along. Uh, this is a map that kind of shows Jesus' different journeys uh, as he does his Galilean uh, ministry. Uh, so it's a little zoomed in, but just so you, so you can see... Uh, um, here's Capernaum, um, the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. So he's making this journey along the, the main uh, roadways down to his hometown, Nazareth. And that's where we pick up the story uh, here. So he's back home and he's in the synagogue as was his custom. Uh, so this is, uh, we, we see Jesus, he's a faithful synagogue uh, attender. And not only that, but he's also a teacher in the synagogue. So his, uh, he's, he's already demonstrated, uh, we can remember some of the earlier earlier parts of, of Luke, where, where as a young boy, he's going to the synagogue, and he remains there, uh, actually, and his parents are looking for him. Uh, but he's, he's speaking with much wisdom and learning, especially for his age. So he, he's already a, a respected teacher or rabbi, and he's teaching in the synagogue. Uh, faithfully. Uh, we also see uh, this is how Luke will describe Paul uh, in Acts. Uh, he'll say uh, as Paul's doing his missionary journeys, he's going to the synagogues as was his custom. And, uh, and so this is how uh, Paul, he's following along in his master's footsteps of, of preaching uh, in the synagogues and, and preaching uh, Christ. And so uh, another thing we see He's, he's teaching in the synagogue, and he's teaching from uh, Scripture. He, he's, he's, and not that that was unique to Jesus, but he, this, is what, uh, this was the custom that they would, they would uh, read from Scripture, and, and the, the teacher would uh, exposit or teach on the Scripture. And so he's handed the uh, scroll, the uh, Isaiah scroll there, in, in the synagogue. And, uh, and what's interesting is it says uh, that... Uh, in verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, 
So he's handed the scroll, and you can picture it uh, with the two columns here, and you would you would roll it out until you found the the place that you're wanting to read from. But there are no chapter or verse uh, uh, back uh, then. Uh, there was no... Uh, we didn't have a, your iPhone app that you could just tap in the search bar, uh, Isaiah 61, and it would jump to it. But, but again, just to, uh, this, this shows us how, how well Jesus knew the Scriptures. And you're saying, well, obviously, because Jesus is God. Well, yes, but he's also man, and he knew uh, the Scriptures. And he knew uh, where exactly he wanted to read from, because this passage was, as we'll see, was being fulfilled uh, in, this, in this moment. And so he uh, reads from Isaiah 61, uh, verse 2. And so he reads from it, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus is quoting, he's, he's reading from Isaiah 61, the first couple verses here, but he's also uh, pulling language from other places in Isaiah. Uh, so he pulls language from Isaiah chapter 42, from Isaiah 56 as well. So we can see Jesus' uh, vast knowledge of Scripture. And in this, in this effect, he's being a good preacher. He's, he's pulling application from other parts of Scripture to help demonstrate the truth that's being expressed in this passage in Isaiah 61. And all of this is, is tying in to uh, Old Testament teaching on the year of Jubilee in uh, Leviticus. Uh, so his, his preaching and his teaching uh, all about the, the year of the Lord's favor is all to show, uh, and by pulling different passages from Isaiah, I think we talked about uh, Isaiah chapter 40 as beginning this new section of Isaiah, and that's where it says, comfort, comfort my people, and John's, uh, John the Baptist's ministry is a fulfillment of the beginning of that. And so Jesus is pulling now from other parts of this second half of Isaiah 40 through 66 to demonstrate that all of what Isaiah was prophesying in those chapters is, is now beginning to be fulfilled uh, in uh, Jesus himself, that the promise of the coming of the Anointed One, uh, the Messiah, the Christ, uh, he's the one that's bringing about this, this year of the Lord's favor. And, uh, um, and so, uh, again, we see that at the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Well, that's, that's the, the Spirit that Jesus returned in, in the power of the one who anointed him at his baptism. So Jesus is the one who is being talked about here, and he is the one who's bringing the message of, of good news uh, to uh, God's people, that uh, this is the, the year uh, of, of the Lord's favor, that he is now in time and in space. He's, he's beginning uh, this, this amazing act of, of redemption through uh, the ministry, through the life and death of this anointed one, uh, Jesus, uh, who is the Christ. And so we see, uh, again, some interesting details. We, he, he stands up to read the Scripture, and then it says he sits down. And this is uh, the common practice. The, the rabbi would, would, uh, we would read the Scripture uh, standing, but then the, the rabbi would sit down uh, to give his instruction or his teaching. This was a position of, of authority. And uh, so now Jesus is doing that. Verse 20, he, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And it says, and, all the, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So not all eyes in the room right now are fixed on me. I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm just joking. But it's true, not, not all your eyes are fixed on me, that's okay. But every eye was fixed on, on Jesus in that moment because he was speaking as one with, with uh, this, uh, this tangible authority. 
Even as he read the authoritative word of God to the people, and now as he sat down, you could just feel there's a hush in the room, maybe some goosebumps on the arms and on the neck of, of some of the people there, as, wow, what, what is he about to say? There's this, this tangible feeling in the room. All the eyes were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So this is what they were waiting for. John the Baptist's ministry, uh, as he began, uh, we, we remember that people were feeling uh, excited and expectant and wondering, oh, is maybe, is maybe John the Baptist the one that we've been waiting for? And John was, was quick to say, I'm not the one, uh, but I'm the one who comes before, and the one who comes after me is mightier than I, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so the people were expectant, and, and, uh, and now, uh, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, He's speaking with authority and, and authoritatively declaring uh, that he is the one, that he is the anointed of God, and that these uh, promises from the prophets are now being fulfilled. It's a, it's a long process, though, of believing at times. We'll, we'll see later on that even John the Baptist will, will wonder uh, in, in chapter 7. He sends, uh, John sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus, because he's in prison now, uh, are you the one or, or should we expect another? Uh, and what does Jesus say? He says, what do you see? The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news, preach to them. And so Jesus' answer to John is, is everything that I said in Nazareth that's being fulfilled is being fulfilled. And so, uh, so he is the one who uh, is, is uh, fulfilling these scriptures, but not always in the way that people uh, might have expected and we'll, we'll see that as we go along, the different expectations of what this Messiah was supposed to be. And we see a bit of that right here in this passage. So we see how the people in Nazareth, they go from happy to very angry, just almost in a moment, and we, we wonder why. So they're, they're marveling at, at this, this Jesus uh, because he was a hometown kid. So the, these people knew uh, Jesus. They knew his family. They knew his father. Isn't this Joseph's son? He was still the son of, of Joseph, as was supposed, as, as was uh, what people would expect. Is this not Joseph and Mary's kid? And now here he is speaking with such authority. And they, were, they, were, uh, they marveled at his gracious words, and, and uh, so they, they were excited. But then Jesus tells them this, uh, this uh, or quotes this proverb to them, or tells them that, you, that they will most likely quote this proverb to them. Physician, heal thyself, or, or heal yourself. And so, what exactly does Jesus mean by that? Well, he was anticipating their desires. You know, back in uh, the beginning, back when Jesus was presented uh, to the temple, uh, Simeon was there, and he prophesied over Jesus, and he prophesied that Jesus would reveal the secret thoughts of many hearts, of the hearts of men, and he's doing that here. The people in Nazareth, we can see now from the text, is, is, uh, and, and why they got angry is because they were excited for the wrong reasons. They were, they were excited that they had a prophet from their hometown, that, that Jesus belonged to them, that, uh, they, that he was going to do miraculous things 
among them, and and uh, and they were taking. Uh, so they weren't interested as much in in his ministry and in who he was, but about what he could do for them and for their town. Which is why Jesus says, "You will quote this proverb, uh, physician, heal yourself, uh, because." Uh, and then he says, "What we heard you do at at Capernaum, uh, do here in your hometown as well." So again, uh, Luke. Uh, for, for, uh, Luke chapter 4, 14 and 15, when it says that his, his uh, ministry went out throughout all the region. So he's, he's begun, beginning, uh, beginning to be well-known, and he will continue to be well-known in all his healing ministry. And so they want him literally to, to heal yourself, heal Nazareth, to do those miraculous things here. He, he's anticipating their, their, uh, their worldly desires and their evil intentions of wanting Jesus to be just a hometown prophet. They want him to, uh, to work for them, as it were. This was always in their, the back of their minds, and Jesus is just bringing that out to light. And he proves this when he, when he goes on and says uh, that there's uh, no, uh, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then uh, he uh, gives a lesson from these two great Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And uh, I have the references of those specific stories on the screen there. But this is really interesting. Uh, he tells the story first of, of Elijah and the, wit- and the widow in 1 Kings chapter 17. And uh, one of the connections that we see here that Jesus is making is that we're, we're in, this, uh, in, uh, this, in this famine that the only person Elijah is sent and ministers to is this widow, this uh, Gentile widow. And so in this story, we see that both Jew and Gentile were saved together, Elijah and the Gentile widow and her son, who all lived and ate together. And this is, uh, a, this is a, a, a pointing us forward to the fellowship that will, be, that will happen between Jew and Gentile that would come through Christ. And this is one of uh, Luke's main uh, points of emphasis in his gospel, uh, is, is that Jesus is Savior of both Jew and Gentile. And, and Jesus is making this point here, that... Uh, you people of Nazareth, you think that uh, I, I'm here just for you, or you want me to be here just for you, but my ministry is for all people, and I cannot be confined just to my hometown, but I've been sent to, to spread the, the message of the kingdom uh, to, uh, throughout the country. So he, he quotes that uh, uh, episode and Elijah's story, and then he quotes Elijah and, and Naaman uh, from Second Kings uh, chapter 5. And so we see uh, the, these two illustrations will actually link up with Luke's gospel later on. So later in Luke chapter 7, Jesus will almost reenact these, these two accounts. Uh, so uh, Jesus will go and he'll heal the centurion's slave in uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, which is very similar to Elisha's encounter with Naaman and, the ra- and, uh, and uh, his ministry to him, and then the raising of the son of the widow of Nain uh, from the dead in uh, Luke 7, the following verses, 11 through 17, this recalls Elijah's raising of the son of the widow in that episode. And so uh, Jesus is directly uh, associating his ministry with these two great Old Testament prophets, which uh, really they serve multiple points. It serves to demonstrate that Jesus was a prophet. He was anointed. He was commissioned by God to, to do his ministry by connecting himself to these great Old Testament prophets. Uh, and 
uh, it also uh, shows uh, and proves to us, demonstrates to us um, that his ministry is is for all people. He will not be confined to to one city, to the town of his his birth, uh, but he's been sent to be the savior of all. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, uh, not to seek and to save Nazareth, uh, not to seek and to save any particular place, but of all people, of all nations. And so this was a Oh, there's the, the references to, to uh, Luke chapter 7 that I was mentioning. And so it's because of this, uh, this, this difficult word, it's, this, is, this is one of those things. What, what's our natural reaction when we get called out <laughs> on our own hypocrisy? Is we tend to get angry. And, and this is what uh, happens when, uh, uh, when uh, we are exposed. We, we can be filled with, with anger and with wrath. Because uh, Jesus, uh, just in a masterful way, unveiled to everyone in that room their uh, own uh, evil thoughts and intentions. And, uh, and so they went just like that from, from excited about Jesus to very, very angry. And so they sought to kill him. When they, when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. Now, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Does he think he's better than us? Think he can just talk to us that way? So they they rose up and they drove him out of the town and they brought him to the edge of this this hill, and they were going to throw him down. So they wanted to throw him off this this cliff or this hill, uh, and and presumably what they wanted to do was to to stone him. I mean they they wanted to kill him, uh, but the the place of stoning uh, in some places this would this would be a, a place down down a hill uh, at least. Um, um, uh, twice the height of of someone, so they'd be down. The person would be down this hill, and then the people could very easily roll stones uh, down the hill on top of the person that was at the bottom of the hill, and they would they would stone the person this way. And this is what they were seeking to do: was bring him out to the edge of town, push him down this cliff, and uh, and uh, let's let's get rid of him. But then we're told, without any explanation, uh, verse thirty. But passing through their midst, he went away. Well, how did he do that? Well, uh, we don't know how he did that. We can speculate, but sometimes we can speculate too much, I think. Uh, this, this parallels a lot of um, other places in the Gospels where Jesus will, will um, appear uh, inexplicably at times. And, and this account parallels a lot of the accounts in, in John's Gospel. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 30, for example, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because uh, his hour... His hour had not yet come, and uh, and that's it's almost as simple as that. Uh, it was not the time yet, and uh, and so Jesus was protected uh, in this way. Uh, we see um, we see that a lot through John's gospel. We see that in the end of John's gospel, where uh, there's there's two accounts where John mentions uh, in John chapter twenty that the disciples is after the resurrection. The disciples were in in a room, and uh, John will say, and the doors were locked, and then Jesus was there. <laughs> And then the question is, how did he get there? Uh, and I remember one uh, commentator, um, actually, I think it was uh, Scott Clark, who uh, talks about uh, how we can we can start to have a start to think of. Uh, I think he called it a Star Trek Christology, uh, meaning that we can we can sometimes think that Jesus uh, was uh, has the ability to teleport or to uh, or to um, uh, what's the word. Yeah, he can beam up, or he can even like change his atomic structure and the molecular structure of his body to pass through like a keyhole or to phase through physical objects. And the point of talking about that is, 
Can, can a human being do that? You know, humans are, are physical beings. Can, can a human being walk through a physical object like a locked door? Like, no, he, human beings cannot do that. And so the, the point is not that Jesus has the ability to, to uh, teleport, as it were, or to, um, or to uh, disappear and go through the crowd, but simply that uh, there must be some other explanation. Uh, that, that God was with him, that uh, maybe the door became unlocked, or maybe that he uh, went through another way. But we don't want to uh, kind of develop some kind of um, superhero uh, Christology that, that Jesus uh, was uh, able to, uh, to do something that a human being is not able uh, to do. Paul, did you have a question? I, I don't think that's the case, because it's a, it's a body. It's a physical body. Buddy. The Holy Spirit can uh, certainly uh, confuse people and uh, allow Jesus to walk through the midst of a confused crowd unharmed, is, is what I would uh, say to that. Uh, yeah, over there, Rebecca. Well, we can, you can see how uh, he can have control over creation, so I can see that. I think that's a different in kind to... Uh, turning invisible or disappearing or demolecularizing and, and remolecularizing. That's, that's what I would say. Yeah. I opened up a can of worms here. All right. Let's keep asking some questions. He picked his disciples after this, so he, he hasn't done that yet. <laughs> yeah. Great segue to the next section. Let's go on. Well, so, the, yeah, the point of, of all that is, is, again, Jesus in the power of the Spirit, uh, he, he does not... Uh, in, in John chapter uh, 10, the, the good shepherd, he, he does, he, no one takes his life from him, but he lays his life down. So Jesus is in charge. He has authority. And uh, we see that here as he passes through the crowd. All righty. Well, let's keep going then. And so the next section, we see that he is continuing. He, he leaves Nazareth, and now he's going and uh, preaching. So let's uh, read this next section here. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a, the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. He said, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in, the, in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. I'll keep reading this next section. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve him. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought, him, brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues 
of Judea. And so in this, this longer section now, it's continuing this main theme of authority. Uh, Jesus has authority. He has authority in his uh, preaching and teaching in the synagogue as he sits and he gives uh, the word uh, to them. And now we see that he has authority over, uh, over the demonic realm. He has authority over uh, sickness and disease as well. And so um, and we see this theme of authority uh, going uh, throughout Uh, so he, he's in uh, Capernaum now, so he, he, he goes back uh, up uh, the route that he was at. Now he's back on uh, the, the Sea of Galilee there. Uh, so again, he's teaching on the Sabbath. He's teaching with authority. And we see he has authority demonstrated over, uh, over the demons in a couple sections, over sickness and disease. And uh, we see over all creation. We'll see that uh, as, he, as we go into chapter 5 when he does uh, call uh, his first disciples. And so one of the things we see here is that he's rebuking these uh, demons because they knew that he was the Christ. And so why is he, uh, why is he, he doing this? So uh, one, of the, uh, one of the reasons uh, why he doesn't, uh, does he not want himself to be known or wh- what is the, what is, what's the reason for uh, this specific rebuke that uh, he tells them to be silent. So he does that in in, uh, verse 35 and then also down in verse 41 to be silent. First, uh, straight off the bat, he he doesn't need or or want or desire any endorsement from from a demon or the demonic. Uh, He doesn't need it. Uh, This was uh, Satan's uh, temptation of the wilderness. Uh, If you are the son of God, he's he's shedding shedding doubt on on that on, on God's word and God's declaration over him, and so he's he's rejecting that. He doesn't he doesn't need uh, their endorsement. He doesn't need to to hear them speak. He he's in full the power of the Spirit. He is the Messiah. Uh, but there's a, there's another reason, a, a, a practical reason as well, is that being the Christ, being the Messiah, being God's anointed, uh, this is who the people are waiting for. And we've just seen with the people in Nazareth that there's a lot of uh, uh, stuff, uh, or or uh, there's a lot of. Um, expectations that people have about this Messiah. And it's not his time yet uh, for this to happen, uh, for him to, to be handed over. Uh, so he, he's, um, he's wanting to avoid some of those, um, some of those different uh, expectations that come with, with him being the Messiah, but rather he's going to demonstrate this throughout uh, his ministry. Uh, so we already know uh, that he's been he's been proclaimed and confessed to be uh, the Messiah or to be the Christ. Uh, the angels make this uh, declaration to the shepherds in, in uh, Luke chapter two. Uh, Luke himself, uh, as a narrator of this gospel, uh, makes this this declaration that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, the demons here obviously are doing that, and. Um, and Jesus himself, through uh, his uh, exegesis of uh, Isaiah chapter 61, says uh, that uh, he is, he's identifying himself with the anointed of God in Isaiah chapter 61. So all these things uh, he, he has uh, demonstrated and, and uh, shown himself to be the Christ, but, but this is going to be a progressive thing all throughout his, his ministry, uh, that uh, people will be slowly uh, realizing and recognizing this, and, uh, and he's going to be the one who's going to teach them about his messiahship, not, not the demons, not anybody else, but he's going to be the one that's going to reveal this to his people. And so at the climax of Jesus' ministry in Galilee is, is Peter's confession. 
that he is the Christ. This is in Luke chapter 9. So this is at the end of his ministry in Galilee, and before he starts going to Jerusalem, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, Who do you say that I am? Uh, First he asks, who do they say that I am? And then he asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses, you are the Christ. And right after that, Jesus charges uh, Peter and James and John, who are with him as well, do not tell anybody. Tell no one. And, and why does he say that? It's because uh, they still don't fully grasp. They don't understand that, that uh, the Messiah is not coming the way that people expected. He's not the, the conquering king Messiah, at least not yet. Uh, Jesus, when he returns, he's going to return as a conquering king. But in his first coming, he came as a suffering servant. And so this idea, this concept of a Messiah who would be murdered or a Christ who would be crucified uh, was not what people were expecting. And, uh, and he makes that point very clear in, in the, Luke chapter 9. Right after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, he tells them, don't tell anybody because the Christ is going to go be handed over and murdered. And, uh, and even Peter, even you, you're not ready for that message. Uh, you're, you're, going, you're going to deny me um, uh, because this is a difficult thing. This is, it's a stumbling block for the Jews and folly for the Gentiles, but, but for those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's, it's we preach Christ and Him crucified. Uh, that's what, what Paul says there. Uh, so he's he's shutting the mouths of these demons and he's he's uh, rebuking them. He's he's uh, delivering uh, people out of demonic uh, uh, possession and demonstrating his his um, his authority over them. We also see his you know, his authority uh, over uh, sickness and disease, like we mentioned. It's only in this instance with uh, with um, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, where. Um, where Jesus rebukes a disease and, and where, where it uses that language of, of rebuke. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. Um, he, he has all authority to uh, over, over creation and over these things. Um, so uh, it was a, a high fever. She was uh, close to death, uh, is, is how we should understand that. And, uh, and uh, he uh, heals her. And, um, and it says that she, uh, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And then it says, and immediately, this is in verse 39, immediately she rose and began to serve them. And so it was, um, she did not need uh, any recovery period. Uh, she didn't need uh, 24 to 36 hours, uh, however long it takes us normally to recover from a fever. Uh, but Jesus demonstrates his absolute authority uh, that immediately uh, she was able to get up and to resume exactly what uh, she's doing uh, to, to get back to normal, 100%, everything uh, to get back to her, her routine. So we're, um, So we see that. And then in verse 40 as well, uh, we keep uh, seeing the, the, um, his ability or his authority over disease. Uh, so uh, when the sun is setting, it says, uh, they all brought the sick and various people with various diseases, they brought, brought them to, uh, to Jesus. And so uh, it says, when the sun was setting. So we're still, uh, we're still uh, on the Sabbath day. And uh, so, so now as the sun is setting, uh, it's the end of the Sabbath, and people are, are now uh, able to, to move and to bring people. And so they're, they're bringing the people to Jesus. And, uh, uh, and Mark makes that point very clear as well in his gospel. They're, they're um, bringing him to, to Jesus to, to heal them. And it says that there's, there's various diseases. So uh, there's, there's nothing outside of his power uh, to heal uh, or, or to save. And, and so we see how um, his, his ministry is beginning to grow and his fame is beginning to spread. And uh, people are understanding him to be this great prophet who's able to heal and to save. 
Um, so, uh, so they're bringing uh, them to him. And then one final thing, we see Jesus, again, connecting um, uh, this all connecting together, that he was not uh, just a local uh, Messiah. So the people in Nazareth wanted to keep Jesus uh, for himself. And then uh, after uh, he um, had done a lot of these things, uh, we're, we're told in verse uh, 42, after that, that long uh, evening of, of healing a bunch of people, uh, it says, when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. So again, they... And we can understand. Uh, we can we can understand why they wouldn't want that. They, w- they would want to keep him uh, for themselves. Uh, but uh, Jesus says, "I must, I must." Uh, we talked about that uh, at the beginning of the class. This uh, this this verb of of necessity uh, that's very common in Luke's gospel. This is what must happen. This is what must occur. And so Jesus says, "I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent uh, for this purpose." And um, and so uh, we see Jesus, uh, we see the divine appointment that Jesus has. Uh, we see the, the sovereignty of God, that it's, it is necessary, it must occur. And we see the Son's uh, willing obedience to the Father, uh, that uh, he's doing what his Father had sent him to do. He's not doing what, what he might want to do, uh, which is one of the temptations, or, uh, or you know, through that temptation process, he's, he's proving his... his, uh, his uh, um, his submission to the Father and his uh, his willingness to do what his Father uh, uh, had sent him to do, and we'll, and we see that all throughout the gospel, and especially at the end, as he on the night uh, he's betrayed, he prays uh, the, that the Father would, would remove this cup from him, but not my will, but yours be done. And and we see that all throughout uh, the gospel. And so now um, we get to uh, where he calls his first uh, disciples. So on one occasion, uh, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, uh, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Uh, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat uh, to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Uh, for, uh, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And so Jesus, he calls his first disciples here at the lake of Gennesaret. Uh, that's the lake, uh, Sea of Galilee, uh, same place. Um, and, and again, we see that Jesus sat down uh, to teach uh, so uh, he he sits down uh, in the boat, and and we see that in chapter five, verse three. So that connects back to his his sitting down in in the synagogue in chapter four, verse twenty. So he's sitting down to to teach the people, and he's teaching them them from this from uh, this this uh, boat because of the the size of the crowd, and so he has the ability to do that. And this is where we meet uh, Simon. We meet Simon uh, Peter here, and. Um, 
And again, we see Jesus' authority, uh, that uh, he's, he's teaching with authority, and now he instructs uh, Simon with authority. And we can, we can understand that Simon, he's the, he's the one that's in charge of the boat, uh, but when Jesus tells him to do something, he responds with, uh, um, in obedience, and he, he says, Master. Luke uses this term, Master, which is more of a, uh, um, uh, um, I guess, a Hellenistic term, uh, um, and, and that makes sense as he's writing to more of a Gentile audience, but the other Gospels would say uh, teacher here, or uh, the word rabbi. Uh, but, but the point is Luke, or uh, uh, Peter, is recognizing Jesus' authority even if he doesn't quite understand it yet. And later on, he'll actually understand a little bit more about Jesus' authority uh, when he calls him uh, Lord. But even in this moment, uh, he's, he's recognizing him as, as master, and, he's, he's, uh, and, and he admits, all right, master, you know, we, we've been trying to do this all night, but uh, I recognize your authority, and I'm going to do what you say. And, uh, and so he does that, and then he pulls in this large number of fish, uh, so large that the nets are breaking, that the boats are sinking. And it's in that moment that Peter recognizes that he's in the presence of someone that has, uh, that indeed has a lot of authority. And so we see this, this uh, confession that Peter makes that has three parts to it, where he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And so uh, we see Peter uh, tells uh, Jesus to depart. He he recognizes that Jesus is uh, uh, that Peter. Uh, he, Peter recognizes that he's he's unworthy. He's in the presence of someone that is uh, that is holy and righteous, and he is unworthy to be in his presence. And so it's an act, uh, it's a confession of of uh, of of and a recognition of of, of Jesus's uh, superiority. Uh, not just uh, um, you know Peter is a is a, a fisherman. And so we have this, this rabbi coming in and telling him how to do his job. <laughs> and so uh, you, can, you can understand, it's like, well, why don't you stick to the reading Isaiah and I'll stick to catching fish. But, but, P, but Peter agrees to do what he says, and then he recognizes, no, this guy actually knows more about my own job than I do. And if that's the case, and he's teaching with so much authority from the Scripture, well, maybe he knows what he's talking about there as well. And so we see not only does Jesus demonstrate uh, even superiority over uh, Peter's vocation, but also just the, the moral superiority that Jesus has over, over him as well. And so he recognizes that, and he, he asks him to, uh, to depart uh, from him. This all-knowing uh, God who is able to to demonstrate his, his authority, even over, even over the, the fact of, of fishing in the sea. So he says, depart from me, and he says, for I am a sinful man. So along with a uh, recognition of God's holiness is a recognition that Peter is sinful. And this is not, uh, this is not as much a confession of any particular sins as it is a, a recognition and confession of, of just a, a, a lack overall, uh, that uh, he, is, uh, he is a sinner, uh, that he does not measure up to Jesus' holiness, and uh, that he recognizes uh, that uh, he is, he's fallen short, he is unrighteous, he is unworthy. He is, he is sinful. And then we see that he says, he, he calls him Lord, or kurios. Uh, this is this is stronger than than master, and and so G- and Peter he's he's learned his first lesson about Jesus here that this Jesus is someone who uh, who uh, has uh, uh, some some claim to him of of divine lordship, and it'll be a slow process as they they learn this, but they will learn it, and Jesus will confess it uh, as we as we mentioned at the transfiguration. 
so, so we see then um, he, switched, he, he changes from calling him master to calling him Lord. So uh, it's not just a master, not just someone who deserves some respect, but, uh, but it's someone who requires allegiance. Uh, so it's not just someone who um, we might defer to for advice, not someone that uh, we would respect their opinion, but uh, that's, that's what a master would be. But, but Peter calls him Lord. This is someone that actually I, I owe allegiance to. I, I can't just take his advice or leave it, but I actually have to surrender my life to him. He, he actually has some kind of claim over me, and that's, that's, his, that's uh, his confession here. And, uh, and so then we see, we're told that from now on, and I love that line, when Jesus says to him in, in verse 10, do not be afraid, from now on, he says, you'll be, you'll be catching men. So, um, so uh, from now on, you've, you've met uh, Jesus, uh, and now things are going to be different. Uh, you, you've, you've come, into a, uh, you've come to, to meet Jesus, to see him for who he truly is, and from now on, your life's going to change. And uh, this, this is true for all of us. Uh, this meeting with Jesus changes everything. There's no going back to, to where we were uh, before. And, and we see then uh, Jesus' call for, for these men, for this discipleship, this apostleship. They're going to be fishers of men. They're going to uh, be gathering uh, God's people and rescuing them uh, from, from, uh, uh, from their, their sin and from condemnation and be brought into the kingdom. Uh, and and uh, so that, that's their, their new vocation. And, uh, and then we're told that they left everything and followed him. And I always, uh, you know, we, 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 will, uh, we like to maybe sometimes retranslate that verse uh, for ourselves, and we like to say, and, and we left some things, and then we went to follow Jesus. Um, but uh, he calls us to leave everything behind, and not just some things, not just many things, not 99% of things, but we leave everything behind. And we, we follow Christ. And, uh, and so that's what the disciples did. Uh, that's what we're all called to do. And um, you know, that's, a, that's a good place, I think, uh, to leave it here. Uh, just leave that, that question uh, with us. Is what, what else do we need to leave behind? Are there areas that we need to, to surrender uh, to Jesus' lordship in our lives uh, that we might uh, leave everything and follow him? Uh, so uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you for your uh, attention this morning. We'll pick up uh, with the next verse next week. Thanks.